All right. Well, we're going to have a real good time on this podcast, the Urantia Book Podcast. Thank you so much. And we're going to respond to a great letter from a listener who asks us to take us further along on the roadmap to the future of humanity. So we're going to get to that, plus some other good things too. Exciting things about the 100th celebration. I'll uh, talk about that and give thanks to the people who put that together this past weekend. And then we'll also kind of talk about and speculate on the next 100 years right here on the Arantia Book Podcast. So a hundred years, right? A hundred years. Where it all started, where it all leads. The celebration on the Zoom was good. I saw Barbara Newsom there. I saw Marilyn Kuliecki talk about her family and, and their early involvement in the forum and all that. And then a couple of other people spoke about their early expenses. Tom, uh, Tom Kendall, I think shared what it was like for him as a kid, wondering why his parents were always leaving on a Sunday afternoon that they couldn't talk about until he was much older. And then he found out. And they all shared a unique experience of experiences at what it was like to be a part of the Urantia book when it first started to make its appearance to this group of people in Chicago. There's so much online from the fellowship and the foundation there's no shortage of things that you can find. But what we talked about in the last book or the last episode was the events of early life. What, what was it like for early mankind when he was first coming up uh, and how we developed all these social mores and customs. And we learned very painstakingly when we read, I think it was paper 68, and, you know, that's why what we see now happening in culture with, with all the radical changes that are going on, people are very unsettled. People are very unsettled right now about a lot of things, and they should be. I mean, my goodness, the looking at the youth, and you see all these videos now of people beating each other up, it's not good. It's not good at all. And it tells you that there is nervousness in society. Anyway, one of my wonderful listeners said to me that he enjoyed, let me see if I can find the email. I can never find it when I want to find it, you know. It's always that way, right? Oh, here it is. It says, uh, we, we, we spoke about Paper 68 and some of the way the Arantia book tells us what happens in early man and how we came to be with all these rules and regulations and customs and laws. Uh, and now he recommended, he says, I suggest a paper on paper 52, section 6, to follow the recent program on paper 68. So thank you, Michael, for that. And he's right, because now that we have a better understanding of what is what life was for humanity, what do we have to expect? What is the, What are we being told here? 
what is the revelation telling us is going to happen, what we would wait for? Where Where is all this going? Where is this crazy world going? It's hard to figure that out. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at four or five articles today that all predict that, you know, we could be heading towards a horrible war. That's not good. Uh, banks are teetering on financial. It's just, I mean, it would be naive. I think it would be very naive to walk around and have a, a Pollyanna optimistic, oh, everything will be just fine. Jesus will come and save us. Because, you know, the Urantia book I was reading this past weekend, I kept reading paper 68. I wanted to read the whole thing through. And it says that there are periods of progress and there are periods of regress. And a lot of periods of regress, I mean, my goodness, the whole Neanderthal experiment was a half a million years, and they never got beyond beyond a certain point. Sangik's come up, much higher intelligent, the quality of thinking. It was the quality of thinking, which I have talked about on this program and I've written about until the quality of our thinking changes, we're not going anywhere. It was the quality of thinking of Andon and Fanta that uh, that made that significant difference between primitive man and modern man. It was not wasn't the opposable thumbs, although that helped because it it by having the ability to make tools. It helped increase brain power by having the ability to have fire and make fire and cook food. Nutrition improved. When nutrition improved, the evolutionary process continued and also improved. Um, We don't need the Arantia book to tell us this, but this is the natural process. And quality of thinking is what demarcates not only our species from every other species, but it also demarcates where we are in society. That is the truth. If you have a high quality of thinking in a particular society, you're probably going to have... Now, that also includes spiritual. Now, when I mean high quality, I don't mean, you know, they've said goodbye to religion, now it's all science. No, that's not quality of thinking. That's dogma. That's just as dogmatic as people who only think about religion. Uh, in the finite sense. So, and what I mean to say is that we, w- until we get to the stage of worship and wisdom, our quality of thinking in mass is probably not going to improve. But eventually it will improve. So, as I reflect back on the hundred years that we've had with the revelation, now we look ahead to the next hundred years. What are we going to do? And this is part of the reason I'm. Going to go into this paper 52 because it describes the post bestowal age of a normal world where they've been graced with a bestowal son, and then there's our world. And our world is an experimental world. So, all kinds of different things are happening here that have never happened before anywhere else in our system. Almost Nebadon. I mean, there are things that have happened here that did not happen. Elsewhere, not up to and including the rebellion. The rebellion changed the whole course of evolution on our world. And that was in addition to the fact that we are told by the revelators that we are an experimental world. 
one out of ten, a decimal world. One out of every ten, they're allowed to try new things. Um, and so everything that's happening now is new. How? Think about how society is trying a hundred different ways uh, to create kind of a family. They're they're trying all these different experiments. What works? Does communism work? Does freedom work? Does liberty work? Can people handle freedom? Can people handle communism? You know, what's the fine line between a good socialist state and a totalitarian state? We don't know because we are an experiment. Our, our, the American way of life is an experiment to see if intelligent human beings can handle freedom. And it's based on the notion that we are endowed by a creator. And the Urantia book, by the way, says that he, that's true, that we are endowed as free will creatures. The ability to choose is everything. How we choose to live, our behavior, our morality, the way we raise our children, the, the way that we treat each other in society, all of that has to be choice-based. And we choose those things because they are ultimately better for us. And we progress uh, better. But right now we're, we're sort of in a middle period where we don't know what's going to happen. Does, is the system of liberty, uh, does it provide enough safety net for people? Are they willing to trade in a few of their freedoms in exchange for safety? And we saw that with, with the, the pandemic. But there was a huge sacrifice made, which now we're paying the price for that. I just read today that teenage suicides among women, girls, are up exponentially. I mean, it would be a very confusing time. I've got a 14-year-old daughter, and I don't envy her for a moment. It must be very hard to navigate these torrential waters of, of society. Western society is, is off the rails in many ways. There's a great amount of stability. And, I, and I've said before that I think this is because of the breakdown of the family and society. And uh, we know that family, based on not only the Arantia book, but you know most studies, peer-reviewed studies, will tell you that a good family is, is the key fundamental to a great nation or a great community because that's where all the lessons are are being learned. I was just speaking with a woman who hosts a national show about mom, motherhood. And we got into talking about that very thing. And she goes to prisons and she, uh, pr women prisons and counsels women and try, and she's not overtly religious, but it's a, it's a mission. It's part of a church that she is. She is not part of that church, but she takes, you know, that message of love and forgiveness and, uh, salvation into the women's prisons to try to rehabilitate. And, and she says to me that um, the way that women are portrayed in society today, today is very, very confusing. I mean, they, they obviously want and are entitled to all the liberties given to man or man takes. But uh, what about the importance of motherhood? What emphasis is put on motherhood? Because Motherhood is a contradiction because motherhood means you have to give up. You have to self-sacrifice. You have to stop what you're doing. And we learned a little bit about that when we were reading in the last episode about that woman bore the brunt of childbearing where men were out there hunting, you know, doing what they're doing. 
And and even when we went through the agricultural period, men still went out and hunted. Women not only had to raise the children, but they also had to grow the vegetables. But underneath all of that pressure was it was the glue that formed civilization. And that's a, a heroic thing. Boy, you know, that would be something as a woman I, I think I'd be proud of. But how can I say that, right? I wasn't there. But we learned about that. We learned about self-sacrifice and the importance of family and, and how boys and girls and kids, brothers and sisters, they learn the toughest lessons in life. And that's where, they be, that's where their character is chiseled out. And that's where, and then they grow up and they're happier individuals. They're not, they're not confused. They're not, not all of them. Nobody's perfect, but it, it leads to the chances of a better life. And then they looked at, if you remember in the apostles where they talk about John Mark, the difference between he and Judas Iscariot. And they, they actually side by side, they had very similar upbringings with the exception that Judas was spoiled. Judas always got his own way. He didn't handle resentment very well or authority. And he grew up with a chip on his shoulder. He was unhappy. And so his whole life was about pride and vanity and showing them that I'll do this. Whereas John Mark, raised in a loving home, uh, brothers and sisters, I don't remember all the details right now, but just what comes to mind is is it it shows us the difference. And I I don't if you're talking about a a family or a society. And a lot of what frightens me, I think, more than anything about today's world is the sad state of affairs of our children and what they have to look forward to. And I'm talking about anybody that was born from 1995 to the present. What they grew up around was unprecedented. That's when they had the games. That's when they had the TV. That's when they had the internet. That's when they had social media. Everybody had a cell phone. It's uh, interesting to, to think about what was life like even in my day in the 70s where we were still voicemail. I don't even think we had voicemail at that point. They had secretaries who answered the phone. Um, so we're in that transitional period so what's next? Well, so let's go to paper 52. What happens on a regular world? This is the revelation part, by the way, here on the Arantia Book Podcast. What happens when a regular world that's kind of like us, and uh, and by the way, if you want to go back to a podcast ago, we talked about what kinds of life forms are evolve on different planets. And we went into that part of the revelation because of what we're finding now in, in local star systems with eco exoplanets. So if you want to, you know, get kind of a refresher course on what kinds of life forms, uh, that might be a fascinating read as well. Or you can read the book and it's just have at it and have fun. Uh, but the post-bestowal sun-man age is where we would be normally if there had not been a rebellion and, and if, well, Christ Michael was, was unique because he is the creator son. He is the only creator son in our universe who speaks for the father, who represents the father's divine character. 
He is unique and the only begotten son of Nebadon. And Nebadon is, is our local universe, comprised one day possibly of 10 million worlds, just like our own, with some variations. But nevertheless, he was a paradise bestowal son. He incarnated in the form of a babe, and we all know him as Yeshua or Jesus. And that was our paradise son. And he chose this world to conclude his bestowal experience where he bestowed himself upon seven levels of his own creation. That's something that Christians don't really fully get. Uh, this wasn't his first go-around uh, as a bestowal son. He bestowed himself as a Melchizedek. He bestowed himself as a Landek son, somebody who's on the level of, of the Lucifer level. He uh, also bestowed himself as a Moranchan companion, I think, uh, and also a, a material son, an Adam, an actual Adam, for periods of time that would allow him to gain the experience of what it was like at that created level. Because you got to remember, he is our father for all intents and purposes. Uh, Christ is the creator of our of our universe. So he, in essence, represents the father. So we're like the grandchildren. This is what I always say. We're like the grandchildren of God, if you can kind of put it in that spatial differentiation. You know, he's the halfway point to a certain extent. And beyond that is when we become spirit beings. When we leave this universe and we go on to Uversa, we are bona fide spirit beings. We're not completely 100% fused, or are we? I think we are. I think that's when the spirit journey actually begins. So uh, so it's when we go through the Son. You know how Jesus in the Bible is quoted as saying, he who goes to the Father goes first through me. That's what he's talking about. When we finally get to that state far along in our career, we will be acknowledged by the same creator son that bestowed himself upon our world. So let me read what on a normal world happens when they are blessed with a bestowal son. On normal world, world, he does not appear in the flesh until the races have ascended to the highest levels of intellectual development and ethical attainment. That's the difference. He doesn't incarnate in the flesh. But he also doesn't show up until there at least is a level of intellectual development and ethical attainment. You wouldn't have a bestowal son showing up in, on today's world. And then it says, But on your rancher, the bestowal son, even your creator son, appeared at the close of the Adamic dispensation. But that is not the usual order of events on the worlds of space. When the worlds have become ripe for spiritualization, the bestowal sun arrives. These suns always belong to the magisterial or avonal order, except that in each case, in each of the local universes, when the creator sun prepares for his terminal bestowal on some evolutionary world, as occurred when Michael of Nebadon appeared on Urantia to bestow himself upon your mortal races, only one world in near 10 million can enjoy such a gift. All other worlds are spiritually advanced by the bestowal of a paradise sun. And those are the ones that don't show up until the civilization, the intellectual development and ethical attainment is high enough for, for them to be able to appreciate 
such a, a bestowal. Goes on to say, the bestowal son arrives on a world of high educational culture and encounters a race spiritually trained and prepared to assimilate advanced teachings and to appreciate the bestowal mission. And this age is characterized by the worldwide pursuit of moral uh, culture and spiritual truth. The mortal passions of the dispensation is the penetration of cosmic reality and communion with spiritual reality. So in this scenario, in, in an advanced stage, people are, what they say, they have a passion for penetrating cosmic reality. They're, they're, they're pursuing moral culture, spiritual truth, communion with, with God on a much higher level. That's what an advanced society looks like. And what else does an advanced society look like? Well, they live longer. Uh, they, they could extend from 10,000 to 100,000 years uh, when these sons arrive and they stay and they hang out. Uh, and under the spiritual influences of these ages, when they have the bestowal son in their presence, teaching them, human character undergoes tremendous transformations and experiences phenomenal development. It becomes possible to put the golden rule into practical operation. The teachings of Jesus are really applicable to a mortal world, which has had the preliminary training of the pre-bestowal sons with their dispensations of character, ennoblement, and cultural augmentation. And let me just paraphrase. What he's saying is that, you know, Adam, Melchizedek, uh, Caligastia is 100, they were each pre-bestowal sons. They were each charged with teaching some level of advanced truth so that human beings can be developed and societies can develop character and undergo those tremendous transformations. So the teachings of Christ, the teachings of Michael, the golden rule, those are advanced teachings. Those are teachings that were taught to us over time and they're taught on every advanced sphere where there are humans like us. It also says that in this post-bestowal age, the problems of disease and delinquency are virtually solved. Disease has been practically mastered through the high-resistant qualities of the Adamic strains, which would have been afforded to us if there had not been the default. I mean, some of us got the strains. We're certainly better for it, but it wasn't uh, 100% successful. Uh, and also the uh, worldwide op application of discoveries of physical sciences of the preceding ages. So we are a scientific people. People in the advanced age are scientific. They're highly intelligent. The average length of life, they say, on worlds like these, 300 years. So we're all talking about, oh, how can we extend our life 100 years? Oh, 200. On advanced worlds, they live 300 years because they've learned to master their nutrition, their uh, their health care, uh, their physical fitness. They're truly an advanced society. That's what we have to look forward to. Uh, but there are still some things that we that make us special. And now we get to the paper that the gentleman who wrote recommended, which is paper 52.6. The bestowal son is the prince of peace. He arrives with the message peace on earth and goodwill among men. On normal worlds, this is a dispensation of worldwide peace. The nations no more learn war. 
but such salutary influences did not attend the coming of your bestowal son, Christ Michael. Urantia is not proceeding in the normal order. Your world is out of step in the planetary procession. Your master, when on earth, warned his disciples that his advent would not bring the usual reign of peace on Urantia. He distinctly told them that there would be wars and rumors of wars and that nation would rise against nation. At another time, he said, Think not that I have come to bring peace upon earth. Even on normal evolutionary worlds, the realization of the worldwide brotherhood of man is not an easy accomplishment. On a confused and disordered planet like Urantia, such an achievement requires a much longer time and necessitates far greater effort. I'll uh, sort of paraphrase. While Jesus has shown the way to the immediate attainment of spiritual brotherhood, the realization of social brotherhood on your world depends much on the achievement of the following personal transformations and planetary adjustments. These are things that they are telling us, the revelators. You want things to improve? You want things to get better? You're going to have to work on it. Here's how. Start with social fraternity. Travel, commerce, competitive play, development of a common language, multiplication of multilinguists, the racial and national interchange of students, teachers, industrialists, and religious philosophers. I would say that uh, we've, we've made some progress there. Number two, they say intellectual cross-fertilization. Brotherhood is impossible on a world whose inhabitants are so primitive that they fail to recognize fully the folly of unmitigated selfishness. Ignorance breeds suspicion, and suspicion is incompatible with the attitude of love and sympathy. Ethical awakening. Only ethical consciousness can unmask the immorality of human intolerance and the sinfulness of fratricidal strife. Only a moral consciousness can condemn the evils of national envy and racial jealousy. Only moral beings will ever seek for that spiritual insight, which is essential to living the golden rule. So that's a personal. We all have to make that personal choice and, and choose that ethical awakening. Number four, political wisdom. Emotional maturity is essential to self-control. Only emotional maturity will ensure the substitution of international techniques of civilized adjudication for the barbarous arbitrament of war. Wise statesmen will sometime work for the welfare of humanity even while they strive to promote the interest of their national or racial groups. Selfish political sagacity is ultimately suicidal and destructive of all those enduring qualities which ensure planetary survival. And here's one, and this is probably one that we may be the farthest away. Number five, spiritual insight. The brotherhood of man is, after all, predicated on the recognition of the fatherhood of God. The quickest way to realize the brotherhood of man on your rancha is to affect the spiritual transformation of present-day humanity. The only technique for accelerating the natural trend of social evolution is that of applying spiritual pressure from above. 
thus augmenting moral insight while enhancing the sole capacity of every mortal to understand and love every other mortal. Mutual understanding and fraternal love are transcendent civilizers and mighty factors in the worldwide realization of the brotherhood of man. And then they conclude, if you could be transplanted from your backward and confused world to some normal planet now in the post-bestowal sun age, you would think you had been translated to the heaven of your traditions. You would hardly believe that you were observing the normal evolutionary workings of a mortal sphere of human habitation. These worlds are in the spiritual circuits of their realm, and they enjoy all the advantages of universe broadcasts and the reflectivity services of the super universes. You know, one of the one of the commentators, Barbara, I think it was Newsom over at the foundation, made the point that because we've been cut off, that's why so few people are receptive to the possibility of, of a revelation because they don't even know. People in general don't even conceptualize this idea that this living universe that we're in is highly populated and very much administered to. They don't even know that. So why would they expect a book to show up and and basically tell them what's going on? Um, Christ tried to tell us. He told us in my father's house there... I mean, he, he tried to tell us, and, you know, some of us got the message. Enough of us got his message where we carried it about. It wasn't just about, oh, you've got to believe in the Lord in order to get saved, and you have to be concerned about your salvation. He was the first one to come along and say, pick yourself up, recognize that you are a child of a living and loving Father, and go forth. And apply the golden rule and treat people as you would treat yourself and go serve. It's the only thing you you can do to offer God anything. What a great, simple message. Great, simple message. Uh, And I don't know, maybe in some corners of the world that message is celebrated. I'd like to think that there are people in the world, there are more people in the world that are working towards that spiritual brotherhood. Sometimes I see it, sometimes I don't. But I do thank the person who turned me on to this, 52.6. It is a great read, and if you want to read about the moral epics of man, that's a real good paper, 62. I tell you, you know, uh, chapter 3, I'm just loving chapter 3. Oh, I I remember what I was going to say, you know, about this being uh, sort of cut off from the— think about like when you get a virus on your computer— and what happens when you get a virus? You have antivirus software. And that antivirus software takes the infected virus, whatever it is, and quarantines it and removes it from the rest of the body so that it can't con- continue to corrupt that body, which otherwise works normally and functions. Isn't that amazing? So that's why we don't have as much truth here now, and that's why we struggle. And so the Urantia book, as a revelation, lays out some helpful ideas on how we can overcome this struggle. And that's why I think the book is so important. And again, it's about the quality of thinking. I'll leave you with this. I want to play it one more time just because I love it. It's something that is circulating on the Internet. 
It's uh, I think I played it the last time. I don't know who sang it, and I forgive me if I don't have the information, but what I can tell you is that it's about 30 seconds long, and it mentions seven names of deity, the seven names of deity. Where is that? Uh, and I'll tell you what they are right after we hear this. Like I say, that's something that's it's just beautiful, but it's uh, it's the seven names of God. Yahweh, which is I am. Rapha, which is the God who heals. Elohim, the Almighty. El Shaddai, the All-Sufficient One. Jerah, or Jehovah, the Lord who provides. Adonai, Lord, and see manifest, will manifest. So, and they're all taken from scripture. Uh, and they also all show the evolution of God because in the Arantia book it explains that each of those names represents the conceptual advancement of man towards his appreciation of God. And that's where we'll leave it. Until next time, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. My email address, Radio at gmail.com. And until next time, God bless and thanks for stopping by.